You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am here with gotcha. um, gentlemen from across this great United States. Over in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hello, my good sir. Down uh, in Sumter, South Carolina, eating all the biscuits, we got Dumb RP. All the biscuits. Good morning, good evening, and good night. And with power um, at, at, at Andrew's church, surprisingly enough, we got Andrew Larson. Hey. hey. And Timothy Miller. Hello, hello, hello. Guys, you survived the hurricane. Everything in one piece. You, you built your houses, your, ch- your, your churches, everything okay? I think Dell got it worse than Tim did. I we we barely had rain. Andrew was without power, and Dell, you probably got it pretty. It was bad. a hurricane. <laughs> it was a little one. We we got the second one in South Carolina. It was like y'all threw it out and threw it back to us. We got what? some wind, and we got. Some, I didn't lose power though, so that was, was kind of cool. I had no power from Wednesday morning until Saturday late mm. afternoon. Andrew was how the much, first to text me without power, and the last to text me that he got his power back. How on. much how food did you lose? Though? Uh, we lost a couple pounds of frozen chicken, oh. a couple gallons of milk. We ate all the ice cream as soon as the power okay, went good. out, though. Smart man. I, I thought, Jeff, when you asked that question, I thought you were saying, like, how much food did you lose? As in, like, okay, let's get to our emergency stack. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> no, when the power goes out. Yeah, bro, how much of your prepper supply did you go through? <laughs> I love that they, they lost all the chicken, but they made sure they ate yeah, the dude. ice cream. You did, why <laughs> didn't you grill the chicken? <laughs> right. Because it was dark by the time we were like, oh, oh crap, wow. it's, it's not coming back on today. So yeah. we actually, we grilled chicken Thursday night, but not Friday, but not Wednesday night. Mm. I get time, a little bit more nervous about like having my propane tanks filled in the wintertime here because we mm. lose power like that. You know, the best thing about a hurricane, at least here, is the weather after the hurricane. Oh, yeah. All the humidity's gone. It, feels it has been awesome, awesome here. I mean, we snuck we yes. over to Disney, and it was the yeah, we best both, weather of we the year. Yeah, we Disneyed on Friday, and it was so wow. nice that we didn't even feel compelled to like make our kids see each other because we're like, no, this is too good. Yep. <laughs> I will right. tell you, though, um, guys, I did have uh, fellas reaching out to me asking how y'all were, people who listen to the podcast, asking how y'all were down in Florida. Aww. So that's really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're good. Well, if they were watching the Weather Channel, then all of Florida is dead. I know, That's right? True. That's very true. <laughs> Did you see that one reporter who was, like, struggling in the wind, and there's a guy just walking behind him normal? Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. Every time. Classic. <laughs> but, no, Fort, Fort Myers, Santa Monica, Caladesi, that area might, will never be the same. Yeah. Really? Up where, up where we are, where uh, Frank and Jeff are from, we're, we're fine. I mean, Fort Myers is basically gone. Yeah. yeah. Along, along the coast, there's really? nothing left there. It's crazy, yep. dude. I, I know someone, I know they're my VR friend, and their mom lives in a retirement trailer home yep. in Florida, which is like a big thing down there, I guess. It's huge. Yeah. And, Very big. That's, that's and, literally where my parents are right now while okay. while. Their well, that's house where is she built. was. She They lost everything. Oh, yeah. The yeah. whole house is just gone. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Wow. I lived in one of those when we first moved to Florida, and it was pretty wild. Yeah. Tampa is, like, so lucky. Like, that Tampa Bay area for, like, a hundred years. hundred and one really... years. Yeah. They and just this one was supposed to get us. They, they didn't even name Hurricane until the last time we had a direct hit. Yeah. Wow. wow. It's crazy. Well, um, the, yeah, uh, what's you guys said the morning after? Yesterday was Sunday and today's the morning after. Yeah. Uh, how was 
How was how was your Sunday? Anything eventful happen? It was glorious. We had, you know, a, a full house, but at you know, 9:57 the internet decided that it was not done with the hurricane yet. Mm. And we lost our live stream completely just moments before the service started. So that was frustrating. Isn't that the best but, one? Then, and then you get all the text messages. Yeah, it's like, why are you, why are you texting Hey, the me? live stream's off. I'm trying to get on the live stream. <laughs> but so that, that was frustrating because, you know, we had worked to get everything back on since yeah. power had been out for a couple of days. And it literally would have been unplug the main router and plug it back in. That would have fixed everything. But by the time we realized that, it was 9.57 on Sunday morning. Yeah. That said – it was maybe our second or third biggest attendance-wise Sundays of 2022, so that was encouraging. Yeah, same for us. It was a big attendance Sunday. The room was really full. There was a lot of energy. There was like the week before um, was pretty low because a lot of people were traveling. They kind of, you know, people really do end-of-summer stuff here, and so they really were doing like the last trip to the ocean, last trip to wherever, with the family. And so they're all back now, you know, school is really in full swing again. And, uh, so it was a full house. It was really fun. And, uh, we got a class tonight. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, was, oh, go ahead, Frank. I was going to say, uh, I think we talked about this. Yes. Last episode was just Jeff and I, but we, we pulled, we, we made a big decision and we have officially brought back greetings for one another in a post COVID world. So in that post COVID, whatever, time we're in right now um but uh but yeah people greet one another so that is you heard it here everybody frank says covid's not real (laughs) uh you can reach him with your comments at frank at qanon.org that is frank at qanon.org yeah man Um, now we're gonna get ripped off of youtube and spotify for your conspiracy theories qanon is a non-profit that's smart (laughs) (laughs) um and uh and yeah and we're and we're and this next Sunday we're bringing back um, more traditional communion elements. We're gonna have both. We're gonna have the prepackaged stuff, but we're gonna also have the bread in the cup. So, uh, pretty exciting stuff happening over here at Epicos Land. Um, so, okay, Dell, I interrupted you. Well, how was last Sunday for you? Last Sunday, well, I've been here in two weeks. So, two Sundays ago, I got to preach for the first time at my uh, new church, which it felt like being home. And then this past Sunday was fantastic. Just like you guys, I guess people are getting back into like the normal life of this time of year. And we had a new members class and it was awesome. I think I told you guys earlier, there was like 50 people there, which is an anomaly. But you know how cool that was to look around in a new members class, see 50 people. So uh, that yesterday was really encouraging. And then we did, um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the life chain. It's uh, you just basically stand on the side of the road and hold signs like adoption is an option. And uh, it was pretty encouraging. I was the community here is really turned out. Is that an? Is it was the, yesterday like a national thing? Where like yeah, it was country. all over the whole U.S. Because yeah. I saw I was driving home on a big stretch of road, and I saw a bunch of people with signs. It one said "abortion murders children," and the other one, the other sign said "Jesus heals all wounds" or something like that. Yeah, and there's there all kind of signs. signs. Yeah, your church could bring your own, and uh. You know, a lot. I was really encouraged. Well, granted, I'm in the deep south, you know, but we only got like two or three FUs. Most of the people were just like, you know, thumbs up, high five. Because, I mean, it's not a yelling event. You're just standing on the road, you know. So it was really cool. And then uh, we had students last night. And uh, Brent Chapel, who is our photographer and videographer for Practically Pastoring Conference, he's one of my leaders. And uh, 
right when he was doing the announcements, I had a student come up and give him a gift, and we had purchased him the hottest potato chip in the whole world. And he ate it before he did the announcements, which wasn't wise. A mistake. Yeah, because then, like, he left the room just in time to make it to the, I guess, trash can to oh, uh, give it all up. But anyways, it was yesterday was full. It was a good day. Timothy, how was your Sunday? We uh, we had one of our, our biggest weekends of the year. It's one of my f- most favorite weekends. We were nervous it was going to have to get canceled, but it did not. We had several missionaries flying in from around the country. We didn't know if they were going to be able to make it. It was our missions weekend at Lakeview. So really what we do for Saturday and Sunday, we bring in all of our missionaries. We give them uh, really FaceTime with the congregation. We, we provide a, a big catered meal, absolutely free. We, we don't ask for money. We really just tell the congregation, hey, your, your general giving, this is where it goes. It goes to support these missionaries. We want to get them in front of you. We want, we want to give you an update and we want to give you a chance to interact with them. So it's it's an absolute blast for me because I, I don't have to preach, but you you guys know the drill, right? Even though you don't preach, you typically put in more hours prepping everything else than if you would just prep a sermon. We This year, we actually had two different missionaries preach, one at first service, one at second service. So I had a I had a 12-minute you know, span to flip the sermon, get their slides out, put the new slides in, test it, make sure everything was working before second service. So it was, it was an exhausting weekend, but it was a ton of fun. Uh, it, it grew from year over year. We went from the student center into the worship center because we got great uh, participation from the congregation. So I, I feel like this could be, and probably is going to be one of those staple events that we're going to see year after year at Lakeview, which I'm really excited about. Nice. The pictures looked awesome. Um, it was great. Well, in that same room where you guys had that meal is where the practically pastoring conference is going to be. Am I correct? So we actually had the meal in the worship center, which there might be some aspects of the conference happening there. But where I interviewed a certain individual was in the same space where we will be hosting the 2023 practically pastoring conference. Yep. And you're going to want to be there. Um, We're going to we have a. hotels uh with a conference rate that we're going to put on the website here soon you're going to want to be at the practically pastoring conference all right it's pastoral appreciation month right now and so now is a good time to go to your elders or to your deacons or whatever your church governance makes decisions however that works out go to them and be like hey you want to appreciate me don't give me another leather-bound bible i already have 40 of them don't give me more uh things for Lagos because, you know, I don't need it as much as I need community. And where I want to find community is at the Practically Pastoring Conference. All right. Myself, Jeffrey Simpson, Delmar Pete, the Reverend Andrew James Larson, and Timothy Miller. We will all be at the Practically Pastoring Conference and we want you there too. Go to practicallypastoringconference.com with all the details there. It's going to be a good time. I'm really excited. Hey, um, so we have a special episode. We're not going to do anything that we found on the internet or, or bring up some major discussions. We're going to bring up next week. I think the plan is next week um, we're going to talk about Christmas because now is the time you should be talking about Christmas if you haven't t- had those discussions yet, maybe even earlier. But what we want to talk about today is um, I think all five of us listened through the rise and fall of Mars Hill. A lot of the people who are listening to this have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. 
And uh, and one thing we found out in the process of all this is that Tim and his church has connection as it has had a relationship with someone who's pretty integral with the uh, the happenings that was happening at uh, Mars Hill. And so Tim was able to sit down with someone, and I wanted Tim to kind of set up what we're going to listen to uh, a special interview with a with a certain Mike Gunn. Tim, tell us about what what happened and how the interview went. And now for a very special interview with Timothy Miller. <laughs> Appreciate that, Andrew. Uh, one of our missionaries is, in fact, Mike Gunn. He's with the Antioch Initiative. He was at one time the international director of the Acts 29 Network. And he also just so happened to co-found a little church known as Mars Hill Church. So he and Mark Driscoll were the two OGs for all things Mars Hill. Uh, so I I had originally asked Mike last year when the podcast first came out if he'd be willing to sit down and talk through it. And he was a little hesitant because he had just had a conversation with Cosper. He and Cosper had several conversations, actually. And Mike actually turned down the interview with Cosper. And he was out of the country at that time. But then uh, a few months later, he said, yeah, I think I'm ready to sit down and chat a little bit about it. So you're going to hear it here first. We scored the uh, the exclusive interview with Mike Gunn, he, he talks all things rise and fall of Mars Hill. He talks about the early days of Mars Hill, some of the unique challenges they faced. And then we get really, really practical and talk through some some ways that pastors can maybe avoid some of those pitfalls and, and warning signs to look out for. So I think I think you're going to enjoy the interview with Mike. Uh, a, a couple of tech notes. I, I did have our intern, Andrew Larson, there. Andrew, not anything, cool. What? You helped run sound and video for this. And he didn't pay you, so. Is, is, there? <laughs> is there anything you'd like I, to add before we. I just thought I was part of the Practically Pastoring podcast and I was <laughs> doing my part. But there's the, the audio is, for the most part, pretty decent. There was a lot of table noise that, if you're listening in very good headphones, might bug you a little bit. So if you can get through the, the table tapping, uh, Mike does enjoy talking with his hands, and it's just something we can. Can we just prevent. consider that passion? Every time you hear yes. that table, it's just passion. That's all it is. It's, it's passion. passion. If you've been wondering if Mark Driscoll does, in fact, read a book a day, um, we ask him this question directly. So you're going to hear it real soon. Yeah. The hard-hitting. Yeah. It's breaking. So enjoy this interview with Mike Gunn, and when we come back, we'll, we'll close up the show. All right. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring podcast. I am Tim. I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine. We've gotten to know each other over these last few years, um, mainly because we as a church, Lakeview Church, support him and his ministry, which is Antioch Ministries. You'll, you'll get to hear a little bit about that. Uh, but I, I want to introduce you to Mike Gunn. He's got a, a great track record when it comes to training pastors, to loving pastors, and he's got a heart for the local church and all things ministry, so he fits really well on the Practically Pastoring podcast. Uh, you, you might not know this, but he's also one of the founders, one of the co-founders of a certain Mars Hill Church, and there was a, a recent podcast done about the rise and fall of that entity that we'll get into in just a bit. But first, I want to give Mike Gunn a chance to introduce himself, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks, man. It's great to be here. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, um, currently, um, I live in, in uh, Long Beach, California, and um, 
uh, I created a ministry back in 2011 called the Antioch Initiative, um, which is basically training um, uh, pastors and church planners in under-resourced areas of the world. And even in the U.S., I, 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 I disciple some pastors and so on. I, it's really a heart, really, as I've gotten older, um, I've worked a lot over time. I've been a college uh, minister. I've been all these different things. I've worked with a lot of youth over time. And, and it's always been on my heart to, uh, to not only work with younger guys, but younger pastors. Um, and then as I've gone overseas to train, um, that really that came about back in 99 when I went to India the first time and really felt called to go to areas that don't have a lot of the resources that we have and to, to give back in a sense. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm in a stage to really just take younger pastors or pastors overseas or whatever to help, you know, train them in areas that, uh, or at least coach or, you know, and help in those areas because that's, that, that's definitely been in my heart. And, and particularly in areas that have been, uh, we've worked a lot with Muslims even in, um, up in Seattle. And so uh, overseas, of course, I've lived in Muslim countries and so on. So um, that, that's also something that uh, drives me. So a lot of the places I go tend to be in the, what, what's considered the 1040 window, which um, is the most unreached people in the, uh, uh, in the world. But I, I go to other places too. So like here, right, right here in Florida, it's great to be here. Um, so that's what I've been doing, really. I, I, I was pastoring all the way up until 2019. Now, currently, I'm in a church. Um, I'm basically a missionary care person, so I'm working with our missionaries and helping our church becoming more um, um, visible outreach and all, as well as trying to help them work into a, um, a place where they're sending church, um, which is, uh, is really important to me. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, but I've pastored for 30-plus years, uh, planted you know, a few churches, including, as you said, Marcel Church, and then another church up in Seattle, and then down in Long Beach, and it trained some guys to, to do the same. So, um, yeah, it's my, it's my heart. I've been mostly in church plants for the better part of the last 30 years, to tell you the truth, um, either planning them or joining them and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, I still, every once in a while, coach a little football on the side, which I love to coach football. Um, but right now, I've been so busy traveling, I haven't been able to do that in the last few years. So we know you have um, a bit of a sporting background, if you will. Big yeah. football fan, uh, D1 collegiate athlete, yeah. uh, NFL on the horizon for you. So I've just got to ask, you know, I'm feeling really good about my Jaguars this year. Yeah, I, it's, I'm probably through the moon. It, it, I get my hopes up every year. So uh, how, how do you feel about Trevor Lawrence, the Jags? Are you, are you feeling good? You know, I, I told you earlier, I, I really am. And, and I, I have a soft spot for Clemson. I told you about that. So Clemson players, I want them to do well because I, I like their program. I like Debo, plus my school's in the ACC too. So I, I do feel good at the Jags. I really do. I think actually the Florida team's – Looking pretty good. I mean, if Tua can come back and play and so on. But that, it's a great year for Florida sports. It is. Um, I'm being told by our audio intern that the table is very loud, so we can't uh, we're ah, have to limit our tapping on the table. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> no worries. It, 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 Andrew Larson is currently running cameras and sound nice. for us during the interview. Thank you, Andrew. We love you, buddy, so much. Yeah, I've really got all these ticks, you. man. You don't have to tell me. I might be scratching, you know, the <laughs> mic pretty soon. <laughs> all right, so let, let's jump into it. We know your background with Mars Hill Church. So, I mean, a, a lot of us are, are anxious to hear. T- tell us a little bit about those early days with sure. Mark. I mean, I'm sure there were some good times. There were some bad bad <laughs> times. What, what stands out to you about those I mean, early for days? For me, most of it was really, really good. I mean, I had just moved up there. I went up to, in 94, January 94, I stepped on the campus of the University of Washington and started a ministry of Athletes in Action. 
And um, we, I went to one church in my neighborhood, but then I'd heard about this multicultural church that an uh, ex-linebacker for the Seahawks was, um, you know, he was a pastor of, and he was African-American, the church was very diverse. I thought, you know, one, that's going to be good for my family, but also the many athletes that I work with. So we started going to a church, Antioch, by the way, Antioch Bible Church in Kirkland, and I, I think it was the first, second week, I went up to the pastor, and big church, about 1,500 people, and he's, I said, hey, you know, I'm on campus, what can I do to help in the church? Because I really was a church guy, too, you know, I wasn't just a parachurch guy. And he goes, well, we got this young intern, you know, just graduated from Washington State, um, you can help him because we're going to try to start a college group. And lo and behold, it was Mark Driscoll at 23 or whatever. He just graduated, newly married. Um, I think he'd been married in college, but like a couple of years of marriage. And so really it was Mark and I um, started the college group. And, and if you know the Seattle area, there, it's, Seattle is separated by water to the other side, which is Kirkland and Bellevue and so on. And we were in Kirkland, and this is a, kind of a wealthy area. It's right, actually where the Seahawks training facility was at that time. They've since moved. And, um, and so we had a lot of Seahawks in the church and so on. It was a great church. And, but we started the college group. It was doing well. We, it was really great. Um, and, but Mark and I were living in Seattle, and Mark was right dead in the middle of Seattle. We thought, I mean, we got to do something on this side of the water because the two sides of the water don't cross that much. And so we got a place, um, a church right across the street from the zoo, and um, we called it the Zoo Crew. And was, I think it was Driscoll's uh, name. And we started this basically outreach. And it, I mean, I, it seemed like it got to 300 pretty quick or 200 or whatever. And um, it, it, was, it was going great. And so, so we're just stumbling through a lot of this stuff, and things are growing on both sides of the water. Um, and we had the idea, and actually I had an idea if, even I think it was one of those things Mark and I had ideas separately, but we came to terms and said, we want to start a coffee shop. And this coffee shop is going to be this place where people can come and, you know, and it's going to be great coffee, but there's going to be bands and it was going to include the arts and music, but also these theological discussions. You know, this is me and Mark. And so we set out to start this coffee shop and we went over to um, across the state to a place that had a Christian coffee shop and all this. And it soon became kind of obvious that we, um, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and we didn't have any money either. Um, so coffee shops didn't seem like it was on the horizon. But at the same time, Mark was actually reading Leslie Newbegin. And if you read his stuff, it's really, really good stuff um, uh, on missiology and what the church is and so on and so on. And I remember I still have a copy of, I think it's The Open Secret by uh, Leslie Newbegin. And Mark says, hey, you know, Merry Christmas. You know, hmm. we started reading that. We're reading at the time Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis. And Mark was very theologically minded. I was. And this concept of planting a church. Now, we didn't start the concept. Church has been planted for 2,000 years. Right. But the, the push in America, I would say, really, I would say Mark was on the forefront of that, particularly what they would call the emerging church. And so we started thinking on those terms. And... Um, so we started a Bible study, and you probably heard Driscoll talk about it, and in his house, and that grew, you know, from 15 to whatever. And we went back to that place, the zoo, the church with the zoo, mm. uh, where we already had, it was an upper room, it wasn't even the main room, and um, it grew and grew and grew. So we decided we're going to plant a church, so October 6, two, uh, ah, 1996, mm. two, two, about two years after I met Mark, uh, we officially planted uh, Mars Hill in that 
Actually, we, we planted down, downstairs in the main, main church. There was so many, so many things going on. I mean, depends where you want to go with the story, but sure. um, it, it, was, it was an incredible time, to tell you the truth. And, and obviously, we were close to Mark. I, you know, there's a lot of things I could say about Mark that were really, really good. Um, yeah. One of the things I think I've, I saw in Mark, and I was the older guy, so I think I'm 11 years older than him. Um, so he was 23, I was 33, 34, something like that. Um, and so I had a little bit more maturity as, as far as uh, age. My wife would say probably not as far as mentally, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still stuck somewhere in junior high. But, um, yeah, I, I saw in Mark, I think what a lot of people saw in Mark, and that was, man, this guy's, he's, uh, he's I don't want to see, talent's kind of weird. You know, I'm a football player, so talent comes out. But sure. Mark was a guy that had a lot of skill sets, and um, you could see that in um, even in his early preaching, was he was he great? Well, no. I mean, he was stumbling over things too, but mm. very smart, major recall of things, and um, and a great vision guy. Yeah. And so, and I think that's where it we really started seeing growth with with Mark's just ability to kind of speak to his generation. You know, we I remember it was it was it X. 14, where it talks about David, you know, born for his generation. And Mark was really that in Seattle. Seattle was coming right, right out of the grunge scene. Mm-hmm. Um, we were connected to the music scene big time. We had guys like David Bazan coming to church. I mean, these guys were pretty big performers right. in the Seattle area. And you had Tooth and Nail, which was a major label coming out of Seattle. We were connected to them. Um, recently, one of the founders, unfortunately, died last week. It was very, very sad. Mm. Um, he started a, what was called the Paradox Theater, which we planted a church mm. in. Um, and that was, as a matter of fact, it was, uh, as he's, some of the obituary stuff has come out, there was articles in Seattle that he, that Mars Hill saved the uh, underage venues in Seattle because they wow. were trying to shut them down. So there was so many things going on that were real positive. Um, and the, the, the best, of course, was seeing these, at the time, 20-somethings coming to Christ. Like, sure. And legitimate people coming to Christ and being baptized um, and seeing a lot of that. So it was really, in that sense, an exciting time, uh, you know, and we did everything together because we were smaller at right. the time. So there, from my point of view, there was a lot of great things. Um, That's great. Hey, know. we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into a little bit of the riff between you and Mark. And then there was a comment that Mike Cosper actually made on the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast about you that I wanted to ask you directly about. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. I'm sitting down here with Mike Gunn, uh, one of the co-founders of Mars Hill Church. Uh, I love hearing the story of the early days with you and Mark and Mars Hill and all the stuff that God was doing that was just groundbreaking. It was instrumental. It was it was foundational. It was formative, formative in a lot of ways. And I can even speak from my own experience uh, early on in ministry, a, a a lot of my formative years um, were spent watching sermons from from Mark Driscoll. I mean, it, it had a big impact on my my early days in ministry. So I know it was very formative for a lot of guys out there who were following the story of Mark and Mars Hill, uh, which is probably what made the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast so interesting for so many people. Yeah. Um, yes, we all love to watch train wrecks and we just can't look away when there yeah. is something like that that happens. But for many of us, we we were also kind of in on some of this story and watching it unfold. So getting to hear it 
after the fact was fascinating and interesting. So I wanted to hear from you as an insider who kind of had an inside track early on. Did you see anything early on, any red flags that you thought, okay, this this could end poorly? Um, what did you notice early on with, sure. with Mark and, and you? Yeah, I mean, I probably didn't see anything that I would say would end poorly, but I can see in that retrospect where that could end poorly. So um, f- from my perspective, Mark, we, we generally was very positive. Like, uh, you know, I, he, he, what people don't notice, I think, and I don't know if the podcast really brought out, is Mark, Mark had a heart for people. I, I think that's unfair. Um, I think guys that are high Ds and, you know, they're very high, strong and, and visionaries, they tend to come off as they don't care about people and they run sure. over people. And well, I mean, the, the famous line is, right, um, the, the Mars Hill bus is going to run over you. There's yeah. a pile of bodies yeah. behind the oh, Mars Hill I, bus. Oh, believe me, I, Mark used to, I mean, I've, been in meetings when Mark would he'd use the treadmill. He said, "If you can't keep up on the treadmill, you're go-. you know." It's like Mark was like that. This was all true. And um, the thing you could see with Mark, Mark was brash. There was no doubt about that. He had a brashness. He was young. Um, he was smart. Those, those, that's a bad combination sometimes. And um, and so you could see his brashness. And there's a sense of what's not, what came out in the end. Yeah, it was ego and whatever you want. They've labeled him a thousand other things. Right. And yeah, you could see those. But what I did see oftentimes was Mark had the ability to come in and, and also repent and apologize. And mm-hmm. I did see that. I think that probably changed at the end. But you could see that, and that's probably what grew. And I had some ideas on that, and we can talk about later. But Mark, like I remember one time Mark caught wind that my, my four- or five-year-old son was praying for a dog. You know, to my, my wife's chagrin, he pulls up in his blue truck with a puppy and, um, <laughs> to, to answer, you know, my son's prayer. And, and, and that was Mark. I mean, it really was. And he did that on multiple times to different people. So he wasn't this ogre that hated people. And, and, and although he's an introvert and there's a lot of things towards the end that he isolated himself, I get all that. Um, but I think, I think when you do a piece, especially like Rise and Fall, it's a biopic. It's it's like this is the piece that we want to we want to tell about Mark. Sure. And they lose the human side. They use the lose the bigger side of who who Mark is. So I saw a lot of that early on. I mean, I didn't, you know, uh, it, it wasn't like we didn't have clashes. I mean, we were two. I'm a competitive guy that's pretty high D two. So we definitely had clashes. And Mark can could could be very aggressive in um, how he dealt with it. Um, and I think later on that in a sense, got exacerbated, even in his own personality, I, mm. I, I think. So what happened between you and Mark? Was there, was there a riff? Was there a reason that you two uh, parted ways? I mean, was it a you know, Paul and Barnabas situation? Well, or? you know, it's funny. I mentioned in, uh, in his first two books, and I think I've been wiped out of Marcel after that. So uh, he mentions in his second book um, um, about me having a vision, him having a vision, and, you know, we were two guys that we were sharing a pulpit, and it was time for my, me to leave. And, he, you know, Mark is a great way to spin things well. Um, both books he gave me, a, um, you know, I, I read through them, you know, any, anything else you want to add or subtract or whatever. So I didn't have any problem with his take, but it's, it's his take. It's his personal understanding of how things went. I would not say, it, it's kind of funny. I, I, I've talked to friends. That were, matter of fact, one of my friends had just become an elder of Marcel, and it was a it was kind of a battle because there were some certain things in his life, and we had to work through those. And he just become an elder. He really wanted to be a pastor. He was going to seminary. And uh, literally, we had an elder meeting, 
And at the end of that meeting, we both walked out, and he goes, did we just vote ourselves out <laughs> off the island? <laughs> it was like, that was exactly what it was. It was like this weird meeting, and it was like, I think we're out of here. Um, and because I had come up to Mark and said, look, because we had, we, had, we had basically broke uh, Mars Hill into three areas. So Mark took um, what we called at the time Little Ballard. It was a small church building in Ballard. Um, Leaf took the uh, Paradox Theater, which he, he had owned, and then I took uh, the South Side in the city. And ours was growing a little bit, and we just felt like, hey, it's time to maybe make this something different and plan yeah. it. So I just threw it in Mark's ear. And next thing you know, we were out. And so I, I think really in Mark's mind, Mark, you know, I, I remember we had this meeting on Mars Hill where people were moving like crazy. We, if you read his, his early books, it's true, man. It's like, are we going to be at church next week? Hmm. Our offering was just two bucks, and no one, you know, no one came or whatever. And people were leaving, not leaving the church, but leaving the city and sure. stuff. We had a meeting like, who is with us? And Mark is very pragmatic, and Mark is very present. So what's going on right now is important to Mark. And if Mark senses that you're not with the vision... Hmm. You're out. And I think, really, and it, there was never a time Mark goes, you're not with us, get out of here. Right. But I think, looking back on it, that's exactly what happened. Mark felt like, look, you do need to plant a church, yeah. And you're already thinking about it, which means you're not with us. So, and, and, and that meeting just turned, and next thing you know, mm. it, without planning at all, we were out in planting a church. And so, wow. it was a weird time. But I wouldn't say there was animosity at that time. Other than, you know, the normal meeting where we don't agree with each other kind of stuff, you know. But uh, on what would be vision or something like that. There was a certain vision things that I was pushing and certain vision things he was pushing. And they, they weren't completely congruent. And so that was there. But, you know, we remained friends. But there was a point, a departure, um, which I'm bummed about because I don't think I've ever had anything too negative with Mark. Hmm. I, I think it might be connected to being asked to come back to Mars Hill once we grew. Um, and we declined because I wasn't really big in the video venue. So, um, but I don't know. So did, did Mark and his team ask you to come back? Yeah. I mean, I, he took, uh, we went out to a Mariner game and he was very gracious. I was being recruited. It was awesome. I was like, I was being recruited again. Um, so there's a line in the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast where Mike Cosper talks about you um, and he says that Mark Driscoll said, yeah, Mike Gunn will never be able to pastor a church of more than 200 people. Yeah. Actually, so is that, that, that really happened? Yeah. I actually heard that before I heard Mike Cosper. He, t- he said that, I can't think who he said that to, um, but that came back to me. And that matter of fact, I think it was when I was still at Harambe. Um, and yeah, I, I knew he said that and it really doesn't, it, it really tell you the truth didn't bother me. Um, it, <laughs> I don't know why it didn't. I mean, I have an ego too, you know, but um, it didn't because I know where it's coming from and I know his reasons. Yeah, he's probably right. Um, you know, his thing <laughs> and me, he, he told someone that I was actually, when I was, I uh, used him as a reference once and he, he said, yeah, Mike's fine, but uh, what do you call it? He said, uh, Mike struck with wander, wanderlust, you know? Um, and it's true. I, I, you know, I always feel like I'm, I'm more like Paul than, you know, you know, a Barnabas maybe, and I'm more catalytic. Um, it's true. I, you know, I've moved around and so on and so on. And I think Mark saw that as, I don't know if he saw it as a negative, but he saw it as a reality. And even when I was planting, I was traveling overseas. Mm-hmm. 
And well, you were instrumental with Acts 29, right? Yeah. What, actually, what was your role with Acts 29? Well, that's another thing. <laughs> okay, Acts 29. Let's uh, talk about that. Because if you ask Acts 29 right now, they would say the first international director uh, um, was probably Kevin. Um, I'm trying to think of He's over at, uh, down in Texas. Um, Kevin Peck. Um, that's not true. Um, and that there's a lot of reasons for that. Because early on in Acts 29, it was a good old boy network. It was, it was mm-hmm. a wild, wild west. And so... Um, I went out to breakfast with Mark probably around 2006. This is my guess. I'd been out, out of the Mars Hill fold in my own church for four years. And I said, Mark, you know, I, we're, we're working with Muslims. I got a heart for this and Muslims and stuff. And, you know, I, I'd like to see an Acts 29 international. And we weren't even close to international. Might have had a Canadian in there, but, you know, I don't know if they count it. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, so he goes, yeah, go ahead. So I did, and I became a director of Acts 29 International. Um, they did budget me, so it was real. Um, but it was kind of a weird time because I would literally, you know, I, I decided, okay, I'm breaking the world into regions. And I, I put different guys in different regions so we can start thinking about how we could plant in these regions. And I was more responsible for more Muslim countries and Africa and places like that because that's where my heart was. And I had a couple uh, guys in Europe and literally, we'd get, in Europe and Australia, we would get an email, or they would get an email, and say, hey, man, you guys are coming to Australia, or you're coming to England. That's awesome. We're sitting there going, really? <laughs> and we'd realize it was Mark coming. You know, he had set something up. And, and so it was this weird thing that, yeah, you can go off into Africa, but we're still doing our thing. So it was just kind of this weird <laughs> thing going on. But yes, I was the director, and that's actually lent to me now doing a lot of stuff overseas in my own ministry. But it was just kind of a funny time. And then when Steve Timmis took over, obviously they structured things completely differently. Right. Um, and I, 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 I always remember like the first, the first Acts 29 in Australia, the first Acts 29 in Ecuador, and me and my buddy are going, what the heck did we do back then? <laughs> it's like, I mean, because we definitely had conferences back then, and the Aussies would tell you that, and I'm, I just was with an Aussie yesterday, yesterday morning, a really good relationships with those guys. So it was kind of a funny time, but yeah, I was. I was the international director for about four years. Hmm. They stopped the program. They didn't want to do international in 2010. That's when I went overseas and to live for a while. And, um, and they restarted in, I think, 2012 under Kevin Peck, I hmm. think. So, anyways. All right, so interesting. <laughs> let's chat a little bit about the Rise and Fall podcast. When you and I first had a conversation about this over a year ago, mm-hmm. the podcast was just kind of taken off. I think you might have been overseas. We, we were going to sit down and have a conversation, yep. but I, I was wondering, did, did they reach out to you at all? Yeah. Did they want an interview with you? Yeah, I talked to Mike Cosper for, for quite a while on the phone. I saw Pray About It, came back, said I want to do it. Um, but then I, I, so what was your reasoning behind not wanting to be on the podcast? Um, a few reasons. Uh, one is I went through it in 2000, whatever, 13, 14, whenever it all went down. Um, you know, of course I, I just come back from overseas. Um, and I, I'd been out of Mars Hill for quite a while, but sure. I'm connected to it, whether I like it or not. All my friends were still elders and so on and so on. Um, I, I knew a lot of, a lot of the inside, but not from the inside. So it was a, it was a gut wrenching time. It was actually um, my my wife was saying you need to stop reading the form all the stuff because I, I, I it was anxiety. I was sick to my stomach. Mm. I mean it was it was bad. So I didn't want to relive something. I, and I, I tell you the truth, I didn't understand why we need to either. Like why are we kind of kicking a dead dog here? So that was one reason. 
The other reason is, I think, with a lot of these things, I, I, well, I'm, not, I'm never sure of anyone's agenda. And now, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't do it. Um, and, and, and by the way, there's a lot of us that did not do it. Um, a lot of the inside guys did not do it. Um, and, did you talk to some of those guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, matter of fact, in 13, when, when, I can't remember when Marcel went down. It was either 13 or 14. And um, I started calling some of the guys, some of the players, mm-hmm. you know, and saying, what are you doing? You know, and we had conversations. I went out to lunch with one of the guys who had moved to Southern Cal. And, yeah, so I did have conversations with guys not doing it for some of the same reasons because what's the point of this? And Mike, Mike was saying, well, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it will help younger pastors understand the issues. Sure. Yeah, okay, I get that. But I think you could have done that in one to two podcasts. I really do. I, I really think you could have said, here, here's some things to learn, you know, about it. There's a guy, Alan Parr, who I really respect. He does, uh, he's a YouTuber, influencer kind of guy, Christian guy. He did his take on it. He, mm. does a, he did a really good job. And it was one shot. He does a good job in warning pastors on certain things without sure. judging everybody. And I thought it was a really good job. And that's Alan has a skill to deal with tough things without really, you know, hammering somebody. And I mm. thought he did a good job. And I think, I think Christianity Today could have done that, but they didn't. They went 10 or 12 episodes and went off into so many different areas that I don't think were fair to the whole situation. And I knew that was coming. And tell you the truth, by the third episode, which I got inundated with emails, I mean, my, my own daughter-in-law was like, probably didn't think I was in anybody until all of a sudden people at work was, isn't that your father-in-law? She goes, and she realized, wait a minute, he's, he was, you know. And so I finally listened to it, and I texted Mike Cosper immediately and said, this is the problem. Here's the issues I got. So... So what were, I mean, what were the key issues you had? Yeah. Now, did you end up listening to, the, to all the episodes? Not all, but okay. I'll, I listened to some of the big ones that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, to tell you the truth, I didn't listen to the apparently positive things about myself, but, um, but I, <laughs> I did listen to some. Um, the, the bigger issue for me, and it probably is because a lot of us declined, but there was a lot of voices they gave voices to that shouldn't have any voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, I think it was the fifth episode, uh, regarding um, the complementarian versus egalitarian position, that was a gender-ridden. Um, it was clearly a gender-ridden right. um, by Christianity Today, and it was completely unfair. Um, and, and so they started, from my perspective, and this is my perspective, and I, I by the way, I respect Mike Cosper. I want to make that clear. Sure. Um, you know, from what I understand, he's a good guy. I don't have anything against Mike Cosper. But I did note what I thought about this, so I, I, I said it to him personally, too, and he was really gracious. But the, the issue is, one of the things I felt that was starting to get crafted, and particularly starting in episode three, which I apparently it was the first one I was mentioned in, was Mark got mean when he became Reformed, and therefore, look at this theology like complementarianism. And it was all kind of lumped in mm. to this idea of being Reformed and mean-spirited because you're Reformed. And I know that wasn't his desire. Matthew, he says, I'm reformed. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. But you gave voices to that. Voices to guys, leaders that were really in the same movement of Rob Bell and some of those guys that we were connected. We were connected to a lot of those guys early on. It was Young Leaders Network, it was called, and Driscoll was a player in that until he realized these guys are going down the wrong place mm. theologically. And Mark, they actually had in that, they had him speaking at the conference. It was the Ooze Conference in Seattle. I remember it. Uh, like it was yesterday, and he's having a, an argument, disagreement with a guy in the room. They had the actual audio, 
And it was totally taken out of context. And, and tell you the truth, that particular conference, when the guy gets up and says, we need to be more like Buddhists, and we need to have Buddhist this and Buddhist that. And I went up to Driscoll after, because he was one of the guys putting this on. Right. I said, what is this? And he goes, dude, don't even talk to me. He goes, I'm dealing with this. And he got up on stage hmm. and, you know, he rightfully um, exhorted them to where they needed to be. And then later on in that seminar, Mark, those were things Mark needed to say. Now, whether he was too harsh, yeah, that's, that's one thing Alan Parr brought up. Maybe he didn't have to do it like that. Right. But the fact of the matter is, Paul would have done the same thing, and he did to Peter. So it's that kind of thing It's like, you want to call him hateful or this, that, another thing. They were, they were aiming at the wrong things. And I think even when Mars Hill went down, there was a lot of pile-on on things that they were saying about Mark that weren't true, and they weren't dealing with the things that they needed to deal with that were true. And I think that was one of the problems of not only the podcast, but also went down in 13 and 14, that without technology, Mars Hill would still be going right now. I mean, it was an avalanche of negative that came on him. And some of them were for his theological beliefs that I think were biblical. Yeah. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you sitting down with, with us today. Uh, but before we leave, I wanted to hear from you and, and your thoughts on... So you, you've been doing this thing for a while. Mm-hmm. You've seen the, the ups and the downs in your own life and in, in other pastors' lives. What are some parting words of wisdom or maybe some, some red flags that, that we as, as younger pastors should look out for, could, could watch out for in our own lives, as well as I know a lot of guys uh, that listen to the podcast sit in that, that number two chair, mm-hmm. and you know, they're supporting their senior pastor, their lead pastor. What are some red flags and warning signs that they should watch out for? Yeah. Um, one of the things really is as soon as you see a guy, visionaries tend to be like this, but you see a guy that's... Um, not being accountable, um, the lack of accountability. I think that's actually what happened towards the end or middle towards the end. Um, Mark has a couple infamous statements that uh, the, the, the podcast brought out that unfortunately probably were true um, about who can talk to him and you know that kind of stuff. Wait, wait, hang on. Did Mark Driscoll read a book a day? So this is the, oh, yeah. the <laughs> probably the most famous quote out there. Is it true? Um, you know, Mark said that all the time, okay? Um, <laughs> all the time. All the time, uh, regularly. Um, I, I doubt it. Um, so, <laughs> Same. It, you know, it, it's funny. I, so Mark was, a, he did read, like unbelievable. Sure. That, that's a fact. Mark had a couple of things. He had a mnemonic memory, so he could read something and remember it. Um, there was a lot of things that Mark could do, and he did. He was, he was incredible in that sense. Um, but... One time, it was towards the end, probably like 2011, 2012, he once said, I don't know, was it a conference I was at, Acts 29, or he said it to me personally, I don't remember. But he goes, yeah, I just, yeah, I do sermons in an hour, two hours. Now, <laughs> I know that's not true, okay? Um, and, and at the same time, Mark had three or four, five research guys at that t- point mm. in time. So, yeah, there's probably a lot of the research he would have them do, so it would take him less time. So Mark would make those statements. Uh, you know, he, he made a statement back when I was there that, you know, I, it was me. The only kids were my kids and Leaf Moy's kids, and there was no youth, no youth anything, okay? My kids sat in an hour and a half sermons for a while, you know, until we finally had something for them. And Mark said, I remember Mark going, that youth and children will never be the tail that wags this dog. Until he had children. <laughs> uh, Mark yep. is a present guy. Mm. Um, he, he really is. It's what's before him. 
And, um, and then, you know, they had an incredible children's ministry. Um, so it's that. And so Mark would always make those statements to, to, to a point that I think was detrimental. And uh, even in Acts 29, he would do this thing called um, reverse engineering your, uh, your life. And it was a major thing he would teach at the conferences to the guys. And I think some of the Acts 29 guys said that you need to stop, stop with it because Mark, Mark would all, you know, he'd be talking about his personal secretary and all this, and these guys, like, they're 25 years old trying to plant a church with three people. Right. Like, the funniest story was we, one of my guys was calling a guy in Texas. He, he was in Texas. He was a regional guy, and he was calling a, a, a new, new guy, church planner, probably, like, late 20s. And barely, they had 15 people in the church. And when he called his phone, he had a personal secretary. <laughs> and we were like, wait a minute, personal secretary? I mean, this is not where you start. Right. You know? And so Mark had all these things, but this is where Mark was living. And, I, and that was very common for Mark, I mean, I, I think. And it, that, that was a, a blessing in many ways because Mark could see what was going on. But at the same time, sometimes it, it left Mark, uh, it, it became irrelevant in some ways to a lot of pastors. So what are some, maybe some practical thoughts for some, some younger pastors who are, who are listening to the podcast now? Yeah, I mean, for, uh, one of them, I, I would say, look, guys, um, I think for the longest while at Acts 29, we were on a very fast um, treadmill. And the treadmill was, if you're not growing, you're dying and you're out. And that was, it was clear. It was, and that, I can't tell you what that did to a lot of guys. Mm. It stressed them. I mean, we have suicides, and we did. And, wow. um, and I don't want to get into too much because they're public figures, but there, there was definitely, you know, physical things, heart issues. Mm. Uh, you guys would get up in my adrenaline glands where, you know, I had to go to the doctor. and It was just crazy stuff. And you're going, there's something wrong with this. I remember we had a particular conference. It was large. We, we you know, we had probably 1,200 people by then in, in the Acts 29. And it was the conference they were dealing with. We had a suicide. We all, so we were dealing with all the issues. And it was just, you're sitting there going, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Where's the joy? Where's the anything here? And I think it was all born out of this idea that we got to go faster and faster. And and I'll just tell this real quick story. I was, I was um, part of a... We, we were doing this uh, coaching training. So we were coaching, you know, a bunch of guys. And we went through training. It was Bob Logan's training. And um, he would come up to Seattle and do ours personally because we had 20, 30 guys in it. He would come up and do the training. Well, I was in India. I couldn't make one of the trainings, so I had to go down to L.A. at the time. I was living in Seattle for his general training on the same stuff so I can get the training I missed. And he's talking about the disc test and the high Ds and high I. Well, if you weren't a high I or high D in your assessment, most likely they'd pass on you. And so, which looking at that, I'm like, that doesn't work. But so he made mention, and he wasn't working with Acts 29 guys. He made mention, he goes, Hey, I just did this conference. These guys are all high I's and D's. He didn't say who it was and, and said, They will burn out. That will kill that organization. And at break, there was another guy that also, he was an Acts 29 that had to be there because he couldn't make them. He, he, he goes, are you talking about Acts 29? He goes, yeah, you've seen my schedule, huh? <laughs> and he was talking about the Acts 29. We were a bunch wow. of arrogant fools. Um, and, and we're all this competitive, you know, we've got to win this. And winning meant your church is growing. 
Your church is getting bigger. And if you're not, you got to break the 100 barrier. Then you got to break the 250 barrier. Then you got to break the 500 barrier. So what does winning look like for you now? I mean, you can't really take the competitive edge out of guys like you, <laughs> right. obviously. So right. when, when you think of winning in ministry, what does yeah. that look like now? Yeah, that's a really good question because we always want some metrics, right? right. And, um, and one of the things... The one thing that screams to me in Scripture is faithfulness. Um, and faithfulness is interesting, too, because a lot of times we have an equation in America, basically. If you do things right, things work for you. That's, just, that's an American thing. Efficiency and success means numbers. And so it's part of the problem we have in our churches, I do believe, because success equals growth. Um, and there's so many church uh, ministries like that. The DMM movement is, you know, they, they talk about being small ch- house churches, but it's a thousand small house churches. Sure. And if you're not growing those, there's something wrong with you. And so there's always this idea of more and more and more, which to me isn't a very American idea. And that is that we, um, that if you do things right. So the, the secret church told us, and it's very true, if you have a charismatic speaker, an awesome youth group, and awesome music, you will grow. And I would say pragmatically, that's pretty true. The question is, is that success in God's eyes? There's plenty of churches, 20,000 here in America, that I wouldn't send anyone to. So it has to be Hmm. in the faithfulness to what God's called you to do. I I really, I I, I try to teach this. And so we had values at my last couple of churches of these values of loving your neighbor, of loving one another, of these different values— if you can start seeing those growing, of course, people coming to Christ and so on, that's, that is a faithfulness to the call of God on us. I mean, there's no, there's no sense. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow. I am talking about it, they grew because there is growth. Sure. There, there is growth. But and, and I'm not down on mega churches or anything of that nature. But what I'm sa- saying is growth does not mean success. And I can tell the younger guys, like, look, be faithful to what God's called you to. And, you know, I think D.A. Carson, D.A. Carson wrote a book about his dad as a pastor. And I don't know if it was in reaction to something Driscoll said, but I know he reacted to it. And Driscoll said something in, in England uh, that basically told the pastors, you're, you're a bunch of wimps, you're not growing, you're losing the people, they're all leaving your church. Um, D.A. Carson reacted to that. It was a big deal. I think even in Christianity, I don't know, maybe the Gospel Coalition. But his point was, my dad was faithful hmm. to, the, to the word and faithful to his call. And his church was like 100 up in Canada. And the reality of it is, that's looking, looking at this, we grew, yeah. Uh, and it was definitely great. Some of it was great growth. Sure. Um, but growth does not necessarily equal health. Um, it really does not. Um, and matter of fact, there's a disease. It's kind of funny. We always use the idea that a church plant's like a human body, that you'll that you grow, and if you're healthy, you'll grow to whoever you are. But if if your if your DNA says you're going to be five seven, 150 pounds, health means you're five seven, 150 pounds. If your DNA says you're going to be six four, two thirty, and play linebacker for the Patriots, you grow into that. That's what health is. Right. And it's just I believe the same in churches. Um, there's a disease that actually um, you'd never stop growing, and it's 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 called the Giants disease, and it's unhealthy to be this huge, and you see some of these, Andre the Giant, some of these guys have this disease, and they actually die young because they, their, their uh, pituitary glands never stop, mm. and they keep on growing. So growth doesn't always mean health. 
And so I would tell you guys, look, be faithful to what God's called you to. Be faithful to your wives. Be faithful to what these things are. That's success versus, man, if I don't plant a church and there's 500 people, then I'm, I'm not a success. Um, and I think, I think Acts 29 has learned that over the years now since, but they still, we all struggle with it. And every time we plant a church, we struggle with it because 50 people are not enough. <laughs> That's really good. It's yeah. a really great take. Uh, thank you so much. Mike, for sitting down with us today. Um, I mean, I'd love to have you back at the Practically Pastoring Conference, honestly. We've got the Practically Pastoring Conference coming up in February of next year. If you haven't registered, I don't know what you're waiting on. We're going to be having conversations just like this. I'm going to do my best to convince Mike Gunn to get out here again for the conference. We'll see what we can do. I make no guarantees right now, but we'll see what we can do. Uh, But thank you so much, Mike, for sitting down with us. Sure. And it's going to be a a great uh, conference coming up in just a few months. Can't wait to see and hang out with all of you then. Until then. All right. See you guys. Cool. Hey, that was a great uh, interview with Mike Gunn. Um, Please, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, if you were a fan of Mars, the Rise of Mars Hill, and and you were listening with friends, or or if you were a fan of Mars Hill, that's or if you're a fan of Mars Hill, I would encourage you to share this episode with someone. Um, Share it with your friends. Uh, You know, even last year when we had the when we had the conference, we we talked a little bit about Rise of Mars Hill, and I'm sure. Uh, we're still kind of gleaning from the the podcast, and so we might talk about it again this year at the conference. So, thanks, Mike Gunn, for listening for 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 the interview and for discussing the hard hitting questions, especially the one that we were all wondering: Did Mark Driscoll really read a book O'Day? Um, because uh, that's one that I've been wondering for a while. I mean, I read hey, my kids' bedtime stories every day. Does that count? Uh, I mean, you could book. say that. That's legit. That's legit. Oh. Hey. Um, Sign up for the pod, for the conference, presentlypastorconference.com. Go to our Facebook group. The conversation continues there. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us individually if you want to. Go to practicallypastoring.com for all that for all those details. And uh, and we'll be here same time, same place next week. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastor. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.